excited about um, going to the White House? I'm not going to the fucking White House. <laughs> No, I'm not going to the White House. Okay. We're not going to be invited. You're not going to be invited? I doubt it. Hey guys, we're back. This is 50 States of Football. We are at Season 3, Episode 2. I'm ready to talk all things football from the American perspective. Um, I'm Scott, and with me, we've got three-fourths of the crew tonight. I'm almost all back together, but I'll start with Bennett out of Wisconsin. Bennett, how's it going, man? Good, Scott. Hope you're doing well, too. Yeah, happy to be back on and uh, hopefully we can get some consistency going again. Excited to talk uh, footy with you guys, as always. Yeah, man. Pleasure to be here, as always. Um, and then with me and Bennett, we've also got Dave in Des Moines, Iowa. Dave, what's up, man? Not much, man. Just enjoying the summer chaos of football. Love yep. it. Yep, for sure, man. We, we've got football flying at us from all angles and perspectives now. We've got the Copa America. We've got the Gold Cup. We've got the Women's World Cup. Um, and we've got transfer season, which we'll group that in there too. And, and, uh, you know, say that we're swimming in football at the moment, which is fantastic. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll, we'll jump right into it. I know we really wanted to start by talking about the gold cup. Um, obviously as an American based podcast, we're going to touch quite a bit on the U S men's national team. They rolled pretty steadily through the group. Um, we just saw the final match against Panama last night, uh, a one, no victory, um, that saw them win the group and take a full nine points. But um, I'll kick it over to uh, to Dave. Dave, um, you know, what do you make of our performance in the group stage? Um, and, uh, you know, how do you think it's going to affect us going forward? I think the players are gaining confidence. I mean, I think they're finding some continuity between each other. Um, I mean, the first game against Guyana, they just – the defense still looks shaky. I mean, Guyana had some shots on net where, I mean, if it was a better team, we probably would have been down early. So, I mean – and then against Trinidad Tobago, it was kind of a slow start, and then they just kind of took off there in the second half and scored a boatload of goals. And then the Panama game, I know, is a lot of rotating. So, I mean, it was a weird formation. They kind of looked stale in the first half, and then second half he made the sub for uh, Pulisic, and then stuff started changing, and then Boyd came on, and then Altidore had that great bicycle kick. So I feel, I feel like they're gaining confidence. Um, I just feel like Burhalter still is trying to find his footing. I just I think he wants to establish himself in his way, but I think he just doesn't know how to do it yet. He's trying to find a medium of what what he should do. I just think he's still learning on the run. Yeah, and I can't help but think since Burhalter is an MLS coach, formerly at the Crew in Columbus, and I can't help but see that rotated squad in Panama. Reverse Panama, sorry, and seeing 11 changes and the only non-MLS-based player being Matt Miazga. And, you know, I know Jordan Morris was the hot kid on the scene a couple years ago. And I know the same case with uh, Jazzy Sardes. But to see guys like Bobby Wood, who's playing in the Bundesliga, Josh Sargent, who's also playing in the Bundesliga, and to not see those guys involved at all with this team... And then even with some of the fullbacks, you know, I don't really feel like the fullbacks. Nick Lima has been pretty solid down the right, and Tim Ream is a Premier League player who's been playing left back. But to see guys like Shaq Moore, Anton Robinson, who are European-based, even Eric Lejak, all guys that have been previously involved with the U.S. team and not being involved at all, not even to mention Cameron Carter-Vickers, Tottenham player, 
it's a little frustrating on my part to see them not involved because I think we were talking about this off the air. You know, I don't know if I'm overly critical about the overemphasis of MLS kids, but it just feels like Burhalter is really going to take us to any kind of success going to the next World Cup. He's going to have to start integrating some of those European kids. Oh, I couldn't agree more with you, man. And I, I think you know we we talked about it back to the origins of this podcast here. Um, you know about how as much as we all enjoy MLS and want it to thrive and, and continue to push itself. We know from a U.S. men's national team perspective that if we're going to take it as far as we, we re- realistically can, we're going to have to build around players that are performing and competing in, in the, you know, the competitions that uh, are the best that the sport has to offer. And, and that's undoubtedly over in Europe. So it is a little bit frustrating to see, you know, guys that you had mentioned, Sargent and Wood, who are banging in goals, you know, pretty consistently in, in, in the Bundesliga not being given an opportunity to help us compete in the gold cup. And then um, not to go on too, too much of a rant here, but you know, w- when we do see that rotation and, you know, see Burhalter kind of playing around with what he wants to do in, in an international competition in a match where we haven't won our group yet and we're expected to, um, you know, was maybe a little bit concerning, albeit we did get the three points. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, I David mentioned this off the air too. Like, just because we won those first two matches and the scorelines favored us pretty well, it doesn't mean that we should be heavily rotating necessarily. Just because we're guaranteed a spot in the quarterfinals, because you should be at this point trying to get continuity with your, you know, lockdown starting eleven. And it's not like we blew Guyana off the out of the water that first match in Minneapolis. Pretty tame for most of that match. And even in the Trinidad-Tobago match, we had a, the best half that we've seen so far in that second half with five goals. But it was only 1-0 at halftime at that match, and that goal was in late in the first half. So I'd be trying to get guys like Winston McKinney, Paul Ariola, you know, Michael Bradley, trying to get those guys, getting some synergy between those guys, because you know you're going to be needing it in the latter stages of this competition. You know, the last time we won this, we're the defending champions of the Gold Cup. Last time we won it, we got lucky by not having to play Mexico on the final because uh, Jamaica knocked them out in the semifinals. And, you know, even that Mexican team that's missing, I think they're missing Hector Herrera, Javier Hernandez, um, Jesus Corona, uh, Marco Fabian, all those guys, Giovanni Dos Santos. None of those guys are in this Mexican team, and I still think they're like heavy favorites above us right now as it stands, so... I don't know. I mean, I'm coming out very negative here, but uh, I mean, it's hard to argue with the results. Zero goals conceded in the group stage. I mean, am I, you know, is there really anything to complain about yet? Are we just anticipating bad things to happen? I don't know. Well, no, we kind of, the U.S. is kind of, like the men's national team has kind of created that doubt for us. I mean, after the up and down roller coaster of qualifying and then that last day, just not even getting a draw against Trinidad Tobago kind of has made us like doom and gloom because it's like, I mean, we, we don't expect that, that optimism that we had when Jurgen was first hired, when Brad, my, uh, Bob Bradley took us to, um, the uh, Confederations cup final. Like we don't have that right now because it's kind of like that doom and gloom, like, okay, when are we going to screw this up? Because that's kind of how, what, what they do, they screw it up against the big, better teams or, or they don't win against the teams they're supposed to win again. And that's kind of, like, we're playing a team, Curacao, which, I mean, isn't a big team, but 
they still made it to the quarterfinals. I mean, we're, are we going to play them like conservatively because we don't want to mess up? Are we going to be overconfident? That's kind of it's kind of just this whole like up and down roller coaster of the like last two years is kind of just made everybody doom and gloom. Like um, we're going to screw up somewhere. Like when is it going to happen? And that's where we need to get this optimism back of like enjoying just watching the U.S. men's national team play every time. Well, and and I'll say this too. I mean, we have. And I think a lot of this doom and gloom comes from the fact that we've undoubtedly. 100% regressed as a federation. I mean, we had, and, and you know, there's all polarization amongst the, the thoughts on Klinsman and his firing and all of that, but we had a guy who had managed, you know, uh, the, the consistent German champions and in, uh, in Bayern Munich. He managed the German national team, played for major teams all across Europe at the highest level. Um, you know, good old Tottenham being one of them, but, um, you know, we had somebody who, is at the pinnacle of the game coaching the men's national team. We got out of a group that included Germany, Portugal, and Ghana, you know, Ghana who had given us so much trouble in past and then Germany and Portugal, nothing needs to be said about those two. And we got out of that group um, and we did it with a contingent of European based players. And here we are now with, again, no disrespect to Greg Berhalter. I mean, he's, you know, uh, you know, he's a professional coach and uh, you know, that's for good reason, but, um, he's certainly not, you know, Klinsman as far as his experience um, and ability for that matter. And he's building his team around guys who are based out of the the MLS, which is, you know, probably arguably not even a top 10 league in the world. So my point is we've regressed a little bit and I think all the doom and gloom is somewhat fair. Yeah. You know, and I just saw this article from the New York Times published today and it was describing these um, – accounts by a lot of former employees at U.S. Soccer. And, you know, the adjectives that they use to describe the work environment there is not something that would bode any kind of optimism going forward right now. I mean, toxic, terrible leadership skills, um, morale at an all-time low. I mean, those are not the kind of adjectives you'd expect or want from a federation that's trying to come back from missing the World Cup. And, you know, it starts from the top. And, you know, we, we may have our reservations about Greg Porhalter's management of the team and the players and maybe not having enough European-based kids. But at the end of the day, it's probably going to have to start from the top. And, totally. you know, it sounds like it's it's a problem at the core right now. And it's not just, oh, you left Josh Sargent off the Gold Cup roster. Um, you know, that's not a sign of progression. I mean, I think it's a lot deeper. But, you know, it's kind of hard to adamantly root against the team right now. But, yeah, it's difficult. Yeah, Like, literally – Literally, okay. I was just gonna say that. Wh- why didn't we tear it down and start like start fresh? Like after that World Cup, you just lo- failed to um, qualify for a World Cup. You're the not top or second best team in your in your region, and you just failed to uh, qualify the World Cup. Tear it down, start over. Why did we not do that? Germany um, after the 2004 Euro realized that they had regressed. They tore it down, started over, and then they went to the – they got third place at the World Cup, and then they, they went to the um, semifinals, and then they won the, they won the um, Euro – or not, not the Euro. They won the World Cup in 2014. Like, they started over because they realized, like, we're a, we're, we want to win, so we need to start over. And the U.S. kind of just – they didn't start over. They just put a Band-Aid on it. 
and just we're like, hey, let's it's okay. We'll we'll be better. We'll find we'll find a way. Well, like you said in the last episode, Dave, at I think at the uh, the Trinidad or maybe the Guyana match, either one, Carlos Codera sitting there watching the match, sitting right next to him, Sunil Gulati. Like, well, go away, man. You know? Yeah, that was, a, that was the, the U that was the U twenty. That was the U twenty game oh, that's against right, that's Ecuador. Right, that's right. That's right. But yeah, either way, you know, the point being, like that guy brought the federation down, led us all the way to failing to qualify for the World Cup four years after we got out of the group of death unexpectedly. He just needs to go away, and you know, he should not be in the ear of Carlos Codero. Frankly, Carlos Codero is no different than Sinogulati anyway, so there was certainly no progression with that hire there, but um, there's just, you know, like like Ben has said, he hit, hit the nail on the head there. There's just, you know, a rot to the core of the federation right now, I think. And I heard that the CEO of U.S. Soccer, um, what's his name? Uh, the CEO, Dan Flynn. Dan Flynn, the CEO of U.S. Soccer since 2000, is going to be stepping down this summer to retire. So maybe that's an opportunity for somebody else to come in as the CEO of U.S. Soccer, head, head honcho, to come in. It's going to be an important hire this summer to make sure that at least something is positive going forward and just determining what the motivations are. Uh, Because, yeah, it's an identity crisis thing. And I think the whole thing about starting over, I thought came to a little bit of fruition with the interim managers and playing all the kids. Like, I love seeing guys like Anton Robinson and Shaq Moore and Josh Sarzen and Luca De La Torre from Fulham and Tyler Adams and Timothy Way. I love guys like that being involved in the national teams and getting bloodied in real international games. And it's exciting to watch. And then now we come to an actual competitive tournament, first competitive tournament since that Trinidad-Tobago match. And it's just filled with I, Michael Bradley and Jordan Morris. And, you know. Zardis. Uh, right. And, um, I mean, it's, yeah, it's just like, come on, keep it going. Like, what do we have to lose? Like, we failed to, we failed to uh, qualify for a World Cup when we're one or two. Like, it's us in Mexico that should always be qualifying for the World Cup. And yep. literally, we failed to do that. We couldn't even draw against Trinidad Tobago. I don't care about what the field looked like. I don't care about how, like, we, like, how good they, they played well at home. You still can get a draw against Trinidad Tobago. At least make it to the playoff game, and then have a home and away leg, and then make the World Cup. Like, it's just like I, I don't, I, I still, I'm still frustrated with it. Like, it still gets me pissed off. Like, just watching this team play. Like, I love watching U.S. men's national team play, but there's just like a, I just got this like, come on, like there's something yeah. that's got to be, there's something that's got to be better. Like, you got to like do something better. And yeah, we're just going to make strides. Okay. No, you're right. I, I was just going to agree with you, Scott. And, uh, you know, you got to build some new pillars. Guys like Landon Donovan, guys like Tim Howard, Clint Dempsey, Jurgen Klinsman, they're not here anymore. Like, we need to find some new faces to get behind. And you can't put it all on the shoulders of Christian Pulisic. Like, that's totally unfair to him that to, to carry the burden of this entire country. And you could tell the tense air the tenseness in the air yesterday against Panama when there is an hour into the match, we're struggling to break them down. They started the cameras start panning to Greg Burhalter every 30 seconds to see his body language. And Pulisic comes up to warm up and come into the match. 
and you just hear cheers around the crowd because people are just like desperate to cheer about anything. Yep. And, yep. you know, it's a really heavy burden to put on the kid. Um, but we don't really have anything else to grasp onto right now. So, yeah, it's that's, just... That's what's, that's what's sad is because we've always had this, we're going to fight until the end. We're not going to give up. Like, we're going we're gonna to come at you. We're going to keep coming at you. We lose. We're going to give you our all. And, like, it doesn't feel like they have that. It's kind of like they're just – sometimes some of these games are just going through the motion. And it's like, give us something. Like, I want to be, like, proud to watch this team play. Like, I want to be proud again and be, like – like, just get so excited when something happens. It's just, like, it feels like they're going through the motions sometimes. That Confederations Cup was great, Dave. I know you mentioned that earlier. I mean, that was amazing to beat Spain. Defending yep. World Cup champions. That was amazing. And, uh, you know, I saw the Landon Donovan goal against um, Algeria making the rounds because it was the anniversary, like the nine-year anniversary on Twitter a couple weeks ago. It was great. Those are, those are awesome memories. And, you know, it's, I don't think it's a talent thing. I mean, I don't think any of us could argue there isn't talent. I mean, Weston McKinney is a monster in midfield. Tyler Adams is going to be making lots of money in a couple years. Um it's not a talent thing. It's uh, it's an organizational thing and an identity thing. And I know you can kind of throw throw around cliches like, oh, we got to have the passion back for the country. There's just got to be more desire within the country and the players. But, you know, if it was that simple, I think it would have been fixed by now. So I, I don't know if we any – at least I know I don't have the answers. But, yeah, you just want to have something that you can at least get behind and be proud to, to support. And I think that's what people want. Well, and I think there's there's a bit of a, uh, I guess I don't really have a better word for it than an issue, I think, with the, the perception of the whole MLS thing, because uh, in in the U.S., you know, the typical U.S. fan is going to be like, you know, maybe I shouldn't say that, but maybe someone who isn't as well versed in, in the European game is going to say like, yeah, well, it, it should be, you know, American based players that are representing the country. But if you look at the best organizations from a from a federation standpoint across the world they certainly aren't just sticking to players that are only in their domestic league you know absolutely you, it, italy, um, italy won the world cup with uh maro camernese who is argentine who is argentine they play mm-hmm. they play Eder from who was born in brazil Jorginho born in brazil like these guys like these countries know that they're going to use the best player like if you have a dual dual citizenship why not you try to get that player to play for you? Like, it look at the matter. World Cup. Exactly. Look at the World yep. Cup. Look at France. Exactly. Yep. It's like half an African team, you know. Um, yeah, no, and I don't know. I just it just frustrates me. I think that the, there's that unnecessary attitude at times, um, and you almost wonder if it spills into the federation. Um, mm, good point. I, I mean, unfortunately, and and I think back to your point too, Bennett, about about Pulisic. I. I just want to say too that I think if I if I'm Pulisic or if I'm if I'm McKinney and I'm not in the starting lineup last night, I don't care if Verhalter says like we can win without you or I want to give you a little bit of rest. Like I'm furious, man. You know? Yeah. I, I, I put that team on my back. I don't care if I'm playing the hundred and twenty third ranked team in the world or the first ranked team in the world, like I wanna fucking play, you know? Yeah. Because I'm the best player on the team. And I would be frustrated, man. When he came on the pitch last night, he didn't look terribly thrilled. Um I, I like I'm not saying when he was actually playing, but when he was standing on the sideline talking to Berhalter, it was just kind of a, a mooted look on his face and, you know, let's go out and play or whatever. But it's got to be frustrating for those guys. And then I know we've said it, but if I'm Josh Sargent, I'm beyond beyond pissed. Like he's he's been very, very professional about it. But um, 
you know, I just hope that doesn't put a bad taste in that kid's mouth going forward about U.S. soccer because, you know, the next World Cup, he better be starting every group stage, in my opinion, you know. Yeah, yeah, and even Timothy Way, like, you could understand why he yeah. wasn't on the team because he was involved with the U-20s. At least that one made a little bit more sense. But the Josh Sargent one is befuddling. I just I just have my hard time grasping my head around that one. Um, yeah. And Bobby Wood, too, man. I don't. Get yeah, it. definitely, definitely. Um, I will say, though, to be in, like, in a positive note, sorry, Dave, uh, guys that I did like, actually, so far in the group stage, like, I got to give a shout-out to Paul Ariola at that left wing back slash left wing position. Yeah. Um, that guy has been amazing. I think he's been the best player um, for the U.S. this tournament so far. And I know they were throwing out a stat before Panama that he was the only guy to play every minute under Bill Hart to at least start every match. Um, that guy's been a beast. And, you know, he's an MLS-based player. I mean, there's not like you can't find sure. good quality players in the MLS. It's just you got to find, like, that happy medium where I'm not looking at the team sheet and Matt Miak as the only non-MLS player. Yep, yep. Well, and you you got to imagine, too, on that note, not to not to pull back on, on such a positive thing, but you got to imagine Ariola is probably going to get a couple looks from Europe if he continues to play so well throughout For the sure. tournament, you know. For uh, sure. It might not be a Premier League or something like that, but – I would assume he gets some looks. Um, and then also on the Jordan Morris point too, I mean, I think he's a great example of what we're talking about because at one point he was highly, highly regarded and was training with some massive clubs over in, in England or sorry, in, in Europe. Um, and he decided to stay in, in Seattle, which I get it. I mean, I think one thing we always have to consider is, is, you know, the, the person being somebody who is going to want to go to a new culture and be, you know, halfway across the world from family and friends and all of that. So, you know, I'm sure that factors into it, but his decision to stay, um, albeit it was probably good for the league. It certainly wasn't good for the progression of his career, in my opinion. I mean, he is, he has flatlined if there ever was a thing. Um, yeah. And I know he's had some injury issues and he's had to miss true. long periods of time, but yeah, I mean, Scott, we were just talking about Sergeant at Border Bremen. Guess who was the club that he had an opportunity to go to? It was Order Bremen. Like, oh, that's it's almost right. it's almost eerie the parallels. And um, yeah, I mean, I think everybody can safely say in hindsight, even given the injuries, like you said, he's flatlined developmentally wise. And honestly, I don't see the point in, in involving him in the national team setup at this point. Like, he needs to prove it a little bit more after coming off that injury, at least in my opinion. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I guess you know that that's all. Uh, all, all good conversation, and I'm sure there's plenty of folks out there who agree. Um, certainly let us know if you don't, but I guess we can pull it back to the Gold Cup a little bit. Um, we talked about the group stage quite a bit. We did get through it. Um, I know there's still a lot more to be asked of the squad and the manager and all of that, but we have a quarterfinal coming up against Curacao. Touched on it a little bit. I don't know if you guys saw their, their last-minute equalizer against Jamaica, but it was just a fucking rocket from like 30 yards out. The dude just like buried it in the top corner. I think it was in stoppage time for sure. Um, and I'm not sure if it was that point that got him out of the group, but I think it was. And uh, uh, my point is, I think they're going to be, they're going to be flying high right now. And they're going to be amped for, for uh, an opportunity to take on the U S who is flagging or flailing a little bit would be the better word at the moment. So um, I guess Bennett, what do you, what do you make of that matchup, man? It'll be interesting. Yeah. Cause they don't really have any pressure on them. They're playing with house money. Like you said, making it through the group stage in that last-minute equalizer. Uh, interesting national team setup because we were talking about, you know, Dave was mentioning about how there's a lot of these countries where 
it's a lot of dual citizenship for people that maybe aren't necessarily born in that specific country, but still have connections to play for them. Uh, Curaçao being that uh, former Dutch colony in the Caribbean, um, 14 Dutch born players um, mm. in their squad right now out of the 23. So almost, I mean, definitely the majority Dutch born. Um, so it's not like there isn't some quality in this team. I see Cuco Martina, who used to play right back for Southampton. Now I think he's in the area Divisie. I remember he scored a worldie against Arsenal a couple years ago. Um, he'll be involved. Uh, Leonardo Bacuna at Cardiff City right now. He was formerly at Reading. Like, there's some guys, there's some players in the team. It's not like we're playing, uh, you know, I'm not going to shame any other country with an example. But they're not, you know, they're not some pushover. And really, I would have liked maybe if we would have played the Chargers against Panama because now I really hope we don't treat Curse out like a Panama and try and do some little sneaky rotations to see if we can get away with it. Like, definitely got to, like, zero in and make sure that we're addressing this as a quarterfinal, you know? Totally, man. We are... We are certainly not in positions we've been in the past in the Gold Cup where we can expect to, to be in the final. You know, we've, we we uh, have plenty to do. So I, I agree with you. I really hope that we don't take it lightly. And, you know, anytime you're in the Gold Cup, I think every game should be treated as important, you know, as any match you've, you've played as a federation. So I do hope that we come out with a strong lineup as well. Um, that being said, Dave, what do you what do you expect to see? I mean, obviously you expect the Pulisic's and the McKinney's to start, but anybody else you think will feature that you want to see in the lineup? No, I agree, uh, I agree with uh, Ariola. I mean, I hope he still uh, Ariola. I still still hope he uh, can uh, continue his form. I mean, he's been amazing. Like some of his crosses have just been mm. like, wow. Okay, so I I hope he continues his form, and I hope. Pulisic keeps uh, keeps improving. I mean, he, they kind of put it on his shoulders, like you guys were saying. But I think um, if they start getting other people involved, it'll start opening him up, and I think he'll get those more opportunities because people might man mark him for a while of the game. But if you're starting to get shots from other areas, they're going to get away from that, and it's going to open him up. So I really hope they can find a way to open him up and get him some more opportunities to either be a playmaker or get some shots on goal. Who do you guys start at striker? Altador. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Zardis, he just looks so uncomfortable. Like, I yeah. mean, Altador does sometimes, but not as much as Zardis. Zardis just, like, sometimes when he hits the ball, he just doesn't know what to do with it. And it just, I mean, he's got so he's got talent, yes, but it's like there's just sometimes where he, you're like, what was that the right move you could have done there? Like you had a guy you could have outlet, you had an outlet pass, like tried to bomb it, bomb it top, sh- top shelf, and you skied it over the net. Yeah, you know, yeah. I I think if Altidore was fully fit, it wouldn't even be a conversation. But I think the fact that he's coming back from injury kind of makes more sense that there might be a little bit more of a conversation there. But I agree with you, Dave. Uh, you know, I think people were trying to say that Ozarda is he's a little bit more mobile. He comes back a little bit more to have and help up with build-up play. But I would counter that we've been playing pretty much with two strikers for this group stage. And I've actually really liked what I've seen out of Tyler Boyd, um, young 24-year-old, uh, owned also, by Vittorio De Guimaraes. Go ahead. I was just going to tell you, also a guy that transferred, changed nations. He was for New Zealand, and then he right. changed yep. to the U.S. Like, yep. point. Like, hey, he wants to play for us. Let's get more people. Like, 
don't turn them away. Bring if they want to come, get them over here. Yeah, playing in the Turkish league, the Super League last year, also um, owned by a Portuguese Vitória de Guayarmas. I mean, playing in some of the better leagues in Europe, and definitely more mobile. So if you play Josie and him together up top, boy, you could do that coming back and uh, you know trying to get involved and build a play like Zardes was doing. But without the first touch of a lead foot that Zardes has, so <laughs> and I, if I'm going with forwards. Yep. Sorry, Alt- Altador can hold the ball up and lay it off for Boyd, and then he opens up the wings coming up the side. Like, I mean, yep. there's a lot of there's a lot of different strategies when you got a guy that's like mobile and that's good on the ball. Like, yeah, Altador could hold up play and then just he could spray the ball. Like, I mean. That's that's what he's good at is holding up the if he if he can get like hold up the ball and like set up other people that that's huge. Dude well, has the I, biggest biceps I've ever seen on a soccer player. I'm just gonna say he it. does huge he does. arms. <laughs> uh, um, no, I also was gonna say I don't know if you guys saw how relieved Zardes was when he scored the other night, but um, you know of course I was happy for him, and but I, at the same time I, I don't think we should be starting a striker in in international cup competitions that looks so relieved to just score a goal, you know, that's your job as a striker. So, um, I don't know, man, I, I agree with you. I really hope Altador starts and, um, hope looks like he's getting back to fitness and him, him and Boyd with, you know, Ariola and, and whomever else, uh, around them, obviously, you know, Pulisic playing more centrally these days, but I do think there's a serious threat there, um, or as, you know, as serious of a threat as we have. So I do hope that's, uh, that's how we line up, but, um, I don't know. Anything else you guys want to touch on in the U.S. men's national team? We can maybe move on to the Women's World Cup quick. No, nah, that's pretty much it. I think I came off a little bit too negative, but uh, maybe I'll save the uh, negative rants until we lose to Mexico. <laughs> Fair enough. No, I don't know. Again, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> we've said it, but I think there's every reason to be you know, a little bit uh, pessimistic. But let's say uh, – we pass it off to the team to change our minds, man. And I really hope they do. So well up the men's national team and, and uh, you know, we march on, but um, completely polar opposite situation in the women's game. We are just absolutely kicking ass and looking like we are absolutely on top of our game, but Bennett uh, back to you, man. What, what have you made of uh, the women's run so far? Yeah, it could have been worse. I mean, I will say that I don't think they've been necessarily uh, blowing it out of the water. Uh, you know, Spain played them pretty tough. Uh, I know, I know, it came down to individual error for the way that uh, this, the the Spanish were able to equalize in that match. But yeah, I mean, pretty good group stage. Uh, I think they broke a record for most goals in a group stage at a Women's World Cup. I mean, mostly because of Thailand. But yeah, I think they're also kind of going through a thing where they're rotating their lineup a lot too, and they're trying to find what is the best lineup. But it's for kind of the opposite reasons as the United as the men's team, where uh, they're so deep. They're by far the deepest team in the world. Where it's kind of trying to figure out who best fits out there because of how deep they are. Um, but it's a much easier uh, problem to have, I think. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's undoubtedly going to be the biggest match of the tournament so far against France. Uh, so, you know, France, fourth-ranked team in the world. Uh, going to be in Paris. I mean, it's going to be a pretty awesome atmosphere. Uh, I we'll see. You know, we'll see. I wouldn't say that the either team has played to their full potential so far, 
But I'm really excited to see what the lineup is going to be like because I think this is really going to be where we find out kind of what the best 11 is because I don't think we've found that yet. No, I think it's well said, man. We've definitely played around. Um, I know lots of girls have been given their debuts in this tournament, which is fantastic to see. But like you said, it's the rotation there is for different reasons, and I think the the women have a bit more of of the luxury of being able to rotate. Um, you know, I think I think it was Rapineau that made the quote, uh, or maybe it was Carly Lloyd that said, "Not only do we probably have the best team in the world, we probably have the second best team in the world as well." Yeah. And I think that's absolutely correct. I mean, uh, now there's people that would argue that, but you know, like a France or even a Sweden or an, an England right now is flying high. But, but yeah, man, like you said, that match against France is going to be super exciting. And I'm really glad that we at least, you know, took care of business against Sweden. Um, you know, they're they're a pretty reputable uh, force, and us getting through them certainly sets us up to be a little bit more confident than we would have been coming off that match against Spain facing France. So. Yeah, I got a hot take here. I think our best 11 doesn't include Carly Lloyd right now. Uh, you know, I think she uh, is, can be really hot and cold, even though she is undoubtedly one of the greats in the history of the women's national team. But I think right now at 36 years old, um, given the other uh, the other options that we have up top, you know, I think that front three is looking more like Alex Morgan, Tobin Heath, and Rapino. Probably the best front three. And then even as a bench, Mallory Pugh and Kristen Press has to bring on a striker. It's pretty ridiculous. So in my head, my hot take is that our best 11 doesn't include Carly Lloyd. She'd be great as a super sub. But right now, I wouldn't be starting her against France. Julie Ertz is a boss. Oh, my God. Yeah. She's amazing. <laughs> and that number six role. Oh, my God. She just. I like, didn't think she had that in her. She's, she's all over the place. Yeah. That's a great she looks point. Awesome, man. She looks awesome. She's going to be a, a pivotal, pivotal point for us coming up against France. Because, like Bennett alluded to, the France is probably the the second best team in the tournament, and you know the fact that we are getting them uh, pretty early, I think, uh, maybe earlier than any any pundit or any fan expected, is, is exciting. Um, and uh, I don't know, really, in my opinion, if we get through them, it sets us up to have a really good shot at, at going on and winning this thing. So. Um, certainly an exciting match. Is that on Saturday? Do you guys know? The the France match? Yeah. Oh, it's tomorrow. Oh, it's tomorrow. God. Yeah, God. Friday. Yeah. I will give a yeah. shout out to uh, Rose Lavelle. Uh, it's her first World Cup. She scored against Thailand. Mm. Went to my uh, Wisconsin Badgers for college. So really rooting for her. And I really think, biases aside, think she should be involved in that midfield. She's really agile on the ball. Sorry, some of the balls she had, I just had to say this because it was on my mind. Some of the balls she had were amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, yeah, was- definitely. And, uh, you know, you, Dave, you were just talking about Juliers being like that destroyer as a number six defensive midfielder. I mean, that, that works perfectly for, for somebody like Lavelle, who's kind of slight of build. And she can kind of do all the technical stuff while Juliers behind her just destroys uh, girls' kneecaps and everything. So, yeah, I. <laughs> I would that, love to see some kind of midfield involved in that, yeah. Then you got that Sam Mo- Mo- Moise or whatever Moise next yep. to her. Yep. Even she's, uh, like, she's a giant. Have you seen how tall she is? She's like, she's just all over the place too. Like you've got that Julie Ertz who's just destroying everybody. And like you got, you got those two pressing high, and then you got the right. wing. You got those wings, and you got Alex Morgan up front. It's like Jesus. Like, and I mean, yeah. Like, and then you got those uh, fullbacks bomb forward too. Yeah, you got a. Uh, 
uh, Dunn, and then uh, what is it, O'Hara going on yeah. the other side? Like, and even Ellie Krieger, Ellie Krieger, another right back who's been around since 2011. I mean, we yeah. run deep in every position. It's crazy. Yeah, it's unreal. Got to jump in and say that Kelly O'Hara is fully coys. Oh, yeah, I've seen that picture of her in the Tottenham jersey. That's amazing. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, and, sure. No. <laughs> and uh, and Dunn, too, man, on the left side. She looks just fantastic. Um, Crystal Dunn, I, I'm really, really enjoying watching her play. I, I love our fullback play. I, they do such a good job in defense, but also getting forward and really do a, a good job of working with the wingers and, and all of that. So um, it's it's lovely for us fans to have, you know, the women's team to – to, uh, I guess, balance the scales out compared to the men's team right now, for sure. Dude, Tobin Heath destroys defenders. It's hilarious. She makes them look so dumb. Like, she has she just, great techers. She's got, oh, yeah. she's got some moves, she's for joking. sure. She's, like, kind of lanky, too, her legs, but she's just, like, so smooth and, and calm and composed on the ball. And I feel like every time I watch her, I'm like, she's she doesn't look, like, super, super lightning quick, but her technical ability would speak otherwise, for sure. I'm trying to think of a male equivalent to her because, yeah, she is kind of a taller winger, but yeah. definitely still has the agility and lateral speed of somebody that's much smaller than her. Maybe a Thomas Muller. R- R- Ronaldo? <laughs> <laughs> Both worthy yeah. comparisons. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the, fact that those, the fact that those two names came up, I think, speaks uh, volumes and credit to her and her, her quality for sure. Ah, for sure, man. Um, well, yeah, I don't know. I wanted to talk about the Women's World Cup quickly before we get into transfers. Um, you know, not that we prioritize or value the Women's World Cup any less. Um, just haven't had as much of a chance to watch it or whatever as I have the Gold Cup. But um, anything else you guys want to touch on there? Uh, no, I do think that we that the U.S. gotten a lot tougher draw. Kind of sucked that they had such a good group stage, but then they had to play France in the quarterfinals. And then sure. England and England, who equally is like the second or third best country in the semifinal. So tough draw, but if you're the best, you got to beat the best. So we'll see. For sure, man. And England look good too. I'll I'll say that too. They look really solid, man. They do, they're, yeah. Uh, they're playing very, very well right now, and they're certainly going to be a formidable opponent should we get through France. Um, but first and foremost, we we got France, and uh, we march on. Dave, anything else you want to touch on? No, let's go, ladies. Get it done. Yep. Yes, well said. Come on, you women's national team. <laughs> that doesn't really flow off the tongue very well. <laughs> nice. Uh, Cowind. Uh, uh, shit. Well, I don't know. We'll uh, we'll jump into transfers. I know we're all you know itching to talk about all of that, and this is certainly where we can you know talk the most bullshit on a podcast. But um, I guess uh, we were talking about all kinds of different situations and scenarios off the air. Um, where do you guys want to start? I think it has to be DeLitt or Ndombele, I think, just because of the biases that we carry to the table. Sure, sure, sure. How, how, about, you guys, how about you guys go first? I want to hear your opinions. <laughs> hey, well, I will say that maybe four weeks ago on an East Ridge USA podcast, I said that I would like to be the first to welcome Tange Ndombele to Spurs, so really hoping this thing goes through so I don't look like a jackass. Um but, uh, but no, it looks like it's inching closer and closer, and I'll let Bennett run with it, but he is certainly the answer to every single problem that we have at Tottenham. It's very unlike Tottenham to get a player like him. It really does not fit the narrative of how we've operated as a club the last couple decades. 
for us to be in on a player that has been widely coveted. Now, some dominoes did fall away. Uh, you know, Barcelona had already invested in Frankie de Jong. Real Madrid have already dropped 260, 270 million pounds before July. Uh, PSG have their own issues going with FPP, FFP and who they can bring in. Um, and Juventus, you know, they're trying to get the lit right now, Dave, I'm sure as you can speak on, and maybe Raviolk will get over the line too. So as far as Champions League teams that are a big step up for Lyon and teams that can offer him playing time right away, you know, I know Manchester City should probably be in that position or conversation too, but they wouldn't be able to offer the kind of minutes that we can offer. And for somebody like him who maybe amongst all his great talents, his best one is his ball progression, which yep. is something that we have craved for years since Dembele got started getting chronically hurt to the point where we kind of bypassed the midfield for large parts of last season, just totally. long balls out to Kane and Lorente to just because we knew we couldn't have a ball progression in midfield. So to get somebody like that and to get him for under the price that Olas was asking for at 70 million pounds. It's rumored to be 55 million pounds plus add-ons. I mean, I, I don't want to say historic, but it, it kind of feels historic just for the amount of money that we're spending and for how big a need that it was for us to fill a hole like that. Uh, kind of rambling, but my God, I just wanted to get over the line right now because it felt like it was a done deal two days ago because DiMarzio reported on it, Sky Sports reported on it. And now I'm starting to get nervous that William flashbacks are coming back. I just hope I want to see him in a Spurs shirt real soon here. No, I'm with you. Man. That's a different I, situation. That's a different situation, though, man. Thank you. Like that, that was that a makes you feel better. Situation. Like this, totally. you guys, you guys were at the, pin, the pinnacle of club football. I mean, you guys didn't win it, but I'm, I mean, you guys were there, and you guys showed that you could get there. And I think that's going to speak a lot for like getting players from now on is they're like, okay, this team's got a pedigree now they're, they can get there. Yeah. You guys haven't won a trophy. Oh, God, let's, let's keep saying that. But it's like, okay, you, you guys are consistently putting yourself in the position. You guys were freaking ravaged by injuries last year. If you would have had a full team, you would have won at least one trophy. I guarantee it. Yeah. It feels that way. No, no Dave, I, I, can't, I agree. I can't stop smiling, Dave. Thank you for that. <laughs> we appreciate you, Dave. Well, and uh, it's just like, I, I, I respect all of like, I respect Tottenham because of what they, what they, how they do business. And I, I've, I've said it many times. I'm a huge Mauricio Pochettino fan. Like I'm a huge fan. So, I mean, I, I watch your guys' game when they're on. And I mean, I, I enjoy the way that club is run. So, well, and Bennett, I'll say this too. It, there, I couldn't agree more. We definitely had some really favorable things happen in the market elsewhere with with other you know competitive teams. Um, but at the same time, I think w- w- the stadium and having finished in the Champions League final, uh, top four again. But most importantly, having having you know been able to offer two really important things. The first thing being a wide open midfield to where he's guaranteed a spot on the starting eleven. Pretty pretty much right away. Um, and secondly, being Mauricio Pochettino, I think that was, that was huge for us. And I think, you know, us, us Spurs fans understand it. And I know the rest of the world understands it, but having, having Pochettino at the helm, I mean, everybody on earth wants to play for that guy right now. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's just massive that we were able to get somebody who, 
you know, Barcelona and PSG and Juventus wanted because even a year ago, man, there was no way that was happening, you know. No way. Literally, if Maurice, if Mauricio Pochettino came to my house right now, and I have never met this man, and he told me to run into a wall, <laughs> I would probably first. do it. Yeah, I would probably do it. <laughs> Just because I knew he'd have my back. Uh, no, I agree, man. I think and that's that's – that's what, you know, he gets out of his players is just that absolute undying loyalty. Um, and I think it's going to continue to, to be instrumental for us. But, but yeah, Ben, let's hope this thing gets done, man. Um, I know the rumors today was that nothing had actually happened and the reports were incorrect, but it sounds like that's kind of how Leon operates. And I also saw that they had, I think it's something to do with their ownership, um, but they, they really have to be careful with how I, I guess – I wish I had the tweet in front of you, but something about their stocks and they have to be careful to let things slip for, for fear of those stocks swaying in one way or the other. And so they, they try to keep their cards really close. I mean, I know the day before Madrid announced uh, Mendy there, um, they said that it wasn't happening. So hopefully some of the stuff we saw today is just horseshit anyways, because uh, I'm with you, man. When Sky and DiMarzio had reported I mean, I wrote an article the next morning that was basically written <laughs> down how we were going to line up with Undembele in the squad. So, um, yeah, man, fingers and toes and everything else crossed. Oh, it was a, it was a great article, Dave, and I don't think you jumped the gun too early there. Those just, those were credible sources. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we saw we saw him do the same thing with um, Hugo Lloris when we signed him in 2012. Where this this chairman likes to kind of play mind games with the media, and I think from what I've heard about from the French media that he kind of tends to do this typically, like you were just saying. So get it over the line because, God, that guy is such a physical specimen. I mean, I thought Sissoko was chiseled by the Greek gods. Uh, Ndombele, I mean, we talk about Pochettino, Davey talking about how he just has a way with people. And he also talked about, man, I wish I had Moussa Dembele when he was 10 years younger. What a player he could have been if I had, if I was there to mold him. Mm-hmm. Well, Levy just gave it to him. Exactly. At 22 years old, and I just I, I really can't wait. Yep. And I mean he he has proven himself in league one and also the Champions League consistently. His his ball ball moving ability, whether it's you know picking a pass out of nowhere or you know carrying the ball himself, his spatial awareness is just it's something that. I don't know. I don't think we've ever seen a Spurs in the midfield since like the days of probably Hoddle or Gaza or something like that. And you really can't even compare the two. But point being, and like you said, we've we've got to go and get him. Um, really, really need to get it done. And uh, oh, go ahead. No, I'm just saying. I mean, speaking to that level, the fact that he's getting compared to guys like uh, Hoddle. Uh, I mean, he has every physical tool that you want, and it's just down to it's honestly down to his mental side of the game, uh, his drive and health because everything else is there. I mean, everything else is there to be molded. And today's market, I can make the argument that this could look like a bargain in a couple of years in the same way that we're looking at Van Dyke being a bargain for um, for Liverpool. But maybe to transition, I don't mean to see you with Thunder Day, but, uh, Scott, I mean. Uh, mm-hmm. But Dave, I want to talk about DeLitt, man. I saw a report today. Speaking of kind of outlandish fees, I don't know how credible the source is from Fabrizio Romano, but the rumor is DeLitt has accepted an offer five years, $24 million a year, which equals 300,000 euros a week with 
add-on increases up to 460,000 a week, and they're going to trigger his release cause of 150 million euros. Now, I don't know how credible that is, but if that's actually the case, I think it still might be worth it. That's how good he is. Well, no, the 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 thing is, is he's Juventus is putting in a release clause into his contract of 150 million, which oh, got it. After like each year, it's supposed to increase every year. And so, like, basically, when it, if someone wants to trigger it, um, it's going to be – like, it's going to go up. I don't know how much it's going to go up each year, but it's starting at 150 and then going up. So, yeah, um, they're putting that in there because I guess um, his agent um, wants that in there. So, yeah, 150 – I mean, that's – what the, a couple of the fans were getting a little upset with there as a release clause, and it's like, okay – there's only been two players that have gone for more than that, Mbappe and Neymar. So I think that's pretty. Uh, that's a pretty yeah. good release clause. <laughs> yep. For yep. a defender, especially. Exactly. And he's 19. He's 19 years old. So I think. So I think I actually still get like a 70 to 80 million transfer fee for him, don't you think? I mean, I've heard that's kind of been the ballpark for his yeah, actual it, transfer fee. Ajax wants seventy five. Juventus is gonna, wants to offer seventy plus five million in add ons. Seems fair. Hmm. So it's a lot of money for Ajax, man. They, holy shit. No, yeah, we're kind. Of, we're kind of. I'm kind of like Juventus fans are kind of the same boat because we've seen this before. We're like we agree on personal terms, and then like something goes wrong. But this one, we've got a different guy in charge for uh, Fabio Patra. I can't pronounce his last name, but. He's he was a uh, Murata, the guy that said enters like protege, and he took over. And I guess he's more of a cutthroat business, cutthroat like negotiator. So it feels a lot different. And he was part of the he was basically the one that like got Ronaldo, like brought Ronaldo. So mm. so it's a lot more. We're a lot more confident in this one. And then plus Nedved is uh, uh, the list agents Nedved's agent when he was playing so they got a good relationship there he's also got a good relationship with Juventus right now so it all looks like it's all lining up and it's amazing and I'm I can't wait I mean literally our aging defense that's literally what we got we we're getting him we're hopefully we're getting him I mean I'm confident but still there's there's always that little bit of doubt but we also got a young guy from Genoa uh, Romero and then uh, this Demriel um, from Sassuolo, who's a Turkish defender. So, I mean, we got those needs, and then we can go move on to the big need is midfield. And we got Rabio come. Looks like he's coming in, which mixed feelings on him. Great player, but a lot of baggage. So, um, I know you guys aren't a big fan of him because the way he talked down about Tottenham. Screw him. Uh, yeah, yep. exactly. So we get we get him for free another free one, and then um, I mean we could go try to get one more big midfielder and I don't know about Pogba maybe a SMS but yeah this Delit thing it's it looks good we we came in hijacked to PSG PSG's uh, deal with him so um, it's nice to see because it's been the other way around in recent years so it's nice to have us hijack a deal than somebody else hijack our deal. 
Got to say, I didn't think you guys would be players for the lit. I got to say, did not think that going into the summer that Juventus was going to be involved in this. Um, so the fact that you guys are looking like odds on favor right now, I mean, to get Ronaldo and the lit back to back summers, it's pretty incredible. Um, and I've heard Milinkovic Savic too for a midfield replacement, which God forbid, I'd still love to have him. He still looks like a phenomenal player. I know we talked last summer about the quote unquote Juventus tax on Juventus trying to buy players from other Serie A teams, but um, I gotta say, I think it's gonna be uh, is is ne- would next year be eight years in a row, seven years in a row? Next year would be nine in a row. Holy shit! It looks like nine, to be honest. It already looks like nine again, but I, I um, mean, yes, I mean, I always go into every season like, yeah, I mean, we we probably got this, but like. Inter, I mean, I, I hate that Antonio Conte went to Inter, and I hate Inter with a passion. You guys know this. I've continually said this. But, I mean, he's going to make them competitive with whatever squad he's got. So, I mean, even if they don't make a ton of signings, he's going to make that squad competitive. I don't think they're going to be title contenders, but I think that they're going to push early on and they're going to be consistent. And then Napoli is going to – Ancelotti in year two, I think, is going to be going to be even better. So, I mean, there's a lot of – and then, I mean, AC Milan got a guy that's a, basically a youth whisperer, and that's kind of what they needed, somebody that could turn youth products around. And um, so, I mean, it's going to be exciting. And then um, Simone Inzaghi is back with uh, Lazio, so – I think it's going to be more, uh, probably the most, I mean, I've been saying, I say this a couple of like some year, years in past that it's going to be more competitive, but I really think it is because we have some top co- top managers in the league right now. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's sorry, ball has got to be a variable. I mean, I know we love his smoking habits here on 50 States, but uh, we don't know what Terry ball is going to look like right away out the gate. So yeah, if you're talking about entered really hitting the, the ground running with Conte is similar to what he did with Chelsea that first season, I mean, and let's say Saribol slips up a little bit that first month, you'd have a real race on our hands. Um, but it's exciting. I mean, like I said, I didn't think DeLitt was going to be going to Juventus. It still likes they could be in play for some of the other big guys. I mean, it's not just going to be Madrid and Barcelona really being the big factors in this transfer market. I mean, Italy is kind of coming back as um, a real player and kind of left teams, countries like Germany kind of by the wayside. Uh, Hamas Rodriguez might be going to Napoli. That's oh yeah, that's interesting. That, that's crazy because I mean, who would have thought that? I mean, granted he's not Yamas of 2014, but I mean, still like a big player like that. I mean, I've also seen rumors that Iguain they might send Iguain to uh, to uh, Roma and uh, some other people for uh, Zanolo. Um, so I mean. That would be crazy to have Iguain on because it, it looks like Jetco's going to enter. So it's a lot of it's it's going to be exciting. Like I'm I'm excited for this new season to come on. I think it's going to be the league continues every like yeah last year Juventus won by a landslide, but if you looked below them, I mean you got Atalanta being in the Champions League now. I mean Sam Doria played well. Yeah, they just lost their manager, but they also got Di Francisco. They used to be Roma's coach. So I mean. It's going to be exciting. Every year it's improved. I mean, two years ago, Napoli took Juventus down the wire. They they thought they had it wrapped up. So 
I, I'm excited. If you guys can't tell, I'm excited. <laughs> Dude, no, it's, I think you have every reason to be absolutely thrilled. He is going to be a staple in any center back pairing for, you know, the next 12 years, if not longer. So fantastic move for the club. And I think for him too, I think it's fantastic. I mean, we talked about it on an episode, you and I, Dave, I believe, you know, maybe listing off four or five squads, it would be really good for him to go to to progress his career. And in my opinion, I don't think there's a better one than Juventus right now. Um, He's going to play right away. They have two center backs who are aging and certainly moving on, um, you know, in the nearest future in their careers. Um, he's going to play pretty quickly, but he's also going to um, get a real shot at winning the Champions League and play with some uh, well-seasoned veterans, um, as well as some younger guys who are doing all kinds of amazing things. Um, so it's it's a really solid move for him, and it's going to give him competition that he really needs right now and, and such a big step in his career for sure. Yeah, and I mean, um, also just to go off of um, even that is just this – Sorry, coming in is gonna could rejuvenate Dybala as well and Diago Costa or Douglas Costa. So I mean, I'm pretty excited because we our offense kind of came stagnant late in the year. So it's nice to have somebody with an offensive mind to get those guys excited and rejuvenated as well. Yeah, and your brand new center back's really good with a ball on his feet too. Dude, you? <laughs> yeah, and that too. And he's a leader of men at 19, and we already have a leader of men in our defense in Keelini. So I mean, it's Ooh. like we're just getting like imagine Keelini playing next to Delit, and they both get cuts on their head and have their head taped around like that. Like who wants to play defense? <laughs> who wants to go against that defense? <laughs> Two guys that are bleeding from the head and wrapped around their head, like coming at you and it's just like okay well um you guys can have the ball <laughs> i know i know part of the appeal of the lit is the fact that he is 19 and that he is somebody for the future but if i'm building a team right now like the best center backs in the world i'd still put him as top three center backs top five center backs in the world right now at totally. 19 like totally. there's something to be said about his potential and there's something to be said about how good he is like right now today um he was phenomenal against Spurs when we saw him up close and personal. We couldn't even go near him for Dude, most of those 180 minutes. I mean, the, uh, he's great right now. It's the crazy part. He dude, he shut he shut us down. I mean, he shut Juventus down. He scored a humongous goal for them away. Like he's he's an aerial threat. I mean, he can he can join the attack. I mean, he played like Ajax. They played that total football like where everybody was like getting involved. But like he can come forward, he can bomb the ball upfield. He can, he's like a the most well-rounded defender I've seen in a while. Like just how how much like tools he has. If I was a betting man, I would put down bets for him to get to double-digit goals in all competitions next year. Speaking yeah. to how what he is as a set-piece threat, like he is that good, even on like a oh. dead ball special. It's it's crazy. I know. I'm in, I'm excited. You've got you got freaking the hard and no nonsense defender Chiellini and then uh, basically ball playing center back attacking everything uh, set piece specialist. <laughs> like imagine that it's like, Oh, you get past Chiellini and you got this young buck that comes around and just takes the ball from you. And you don't even know what happened. Can I throw another name you guys? Cause I, I mean, he seems like he'd be worth every penny, but another one that's kind of getting closer to getting over the line is uh, Joao Felix to Atletico Madrid yeah. for, for an astronomical I mean, fee. 
Right? So I want to get you guys' thoughts on that because it's like 120 million euros for his release clause. And he's going, granted, Atletico would be making a lot of money from the Griezmann sale, a lot of money from the Rodri sale. But that's still a lot of money to be spending on a kid that's still 19. And we're talking about the lip being more of a finished product. Felix really has had one season right now. Really small way to build kid, too. And uh, that's going to be a harder fee to live up for, in, in my opinion. I think that is it's – a, it's a risk, I think, for Atletico because that's a lot of money. And, I, I mean, is he good enough to replace Griezmann right away? I don't know. Um, I mean, I guess nobody really does. But Griezmann's a, a, a heavy talent. And if I'm Atletico and I'm trying to compete with Barcelona and Real Madrid for titles again, I mean, they're close. But, you know, like you just said, Bennett, that's a lot to put on uh Jao Felix right away um especially with that fee he's going to be asked to do a lot right away so um I don't know it surprised me a little bit but like you said they were going to have money coming in left and right from those two big sales shout out to Rodri as well going to Man City so we can get he looks so good but, yeah um but yeah I don't know man uh it'll be interesting to see what happens there for sure I'm interested to see who they go for go to get defense wise because they just lost Godin and I mean mm-hmm. Who's going to play with him in it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, who are you going to replace that? I mean, they'll probably – but the thing is, is the way Simeone works, they'll probably get some nobody and then, like, turn him into a world beater because that's what he does. Yeah. Well, Dave, that's why we didn't mention, too, in the last episode that Atletico was one of those four teams that would be a great spot for DeLitt to go. So, obviously, you're happy it didn't work out that way, but – um, but, yeah, don't mean to go down a rabbit hole there. Um, I did want to say, too – Scrolling through Twitter, it looks like Juan Vasaka to Man United is done and dusted. So that is interesting from a Premier League perspective because I thought that he would find himself in a Champions League club for sure. Um, Benny, you want to touch on that? Yeah, I actually saw pictures of him like in the United shirt doing like his mm-hmm. photo ops. It got leaked to Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, 50 million pounds for a fullback is a lot of money. It's going to be wow. close to the world record for it. Uh I think I got some pushbacks from other people, but I was pretty consistent about thinking that he was going to go for 50-plus. Yeah. Uh, I mean, his defensive stats, for somebody that played most of the matches in the Premier League, he was first, if not second, in most of those, Mm -hmm. you know, interception, tackles per 90, that kind of metrics. So the guy's a tackling machine. I think what he might have to run into at United is he's played a largely more defensive fullback at Palace because obviously Palace do a lot more defending than a team like United. Mm-hmm. But the way that United want to play, a lot more forward thinking, a lot more possession-based. So I'll be interested to see how he does when he has the ball more at his feet rather than trying to tackle players and more about what he can kind of create as the quote-unquote modern fullback and being able to create also as well as defending. But to say that he's worth the fee, I'd say he might be worth the fee. I mean, you kind of got to pay a premium for English kids these days. And for a position like fullback, where they're kind of a high premium right now, the the deal kind of makes sense to me. Uh, But yeah, I don't know, Scott, what do you think? Or Dave, even. I I mean, I I loved him at Palace this year, but we'll see what he has in his attacking game, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think I was... I wasn't and I think you were in the same boat, but I, I wasn't uh, thinking that, that we would go for him. I definitely thought it would be somebody who, um, you know, didn't 
value their fullbacks getting forward as much as we do. But like you said, United certainly does. Um, so I think you will be asked some questions there. Um, you know, I think the fullback position, like you just mentioned, has grown just, you know, 100% every year as far as importance in the modern game. So not surprising to see these fullbacks, like you'd mentioned, going for such high fees. But $50 million is, is a lot of money in it you know, makes sense to me that a club like United was the one to come in and pay it. Um, Because I just think there wasn't, as far as top six in England goes, which is kind of where everybody expected him to be, I don't think there was anyone else that could afford to spend $50 million on a fullback right now. Um, Or maybe just, you know, like a city or something just didn't need to. So it does make more sense when you think about it from that perspective. And I'm happy for the kid who's going to get to play in Europe. And I'm sure growing up in England, you know, it's a very, very proud moment to wear the Man United badge for any kid, for sure. Yeah, and he's getting, uh, at, I mean, it's ridiculous the wages he was on at Palace. He was getting 10000 a week at Palace. He's going to get like wow. 80, 80 to 90000 at United. So, yeah, just you got to be happy for the kid, 21-year-old, getting 800% pay increase. I mean, that's got to be nice for him. Life-changing, man, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, no, no, I, I, uh, I think he'll do, he'll do a job there, and they certainly need a right back. Um, you know, that had been a, a position where just they kind of hodgepodge and thrown different people in there for the last couple of years or whatever. So Valencia did OK, but I'm sure the Man United faithful are, are really, really excited to have him. Um, but, yeah, that was another cool one. I think, uh, you know, other than that, there's still all kinds of rumors floating around. I know we'd, we'd mentioned the Rodri to Man City. That's scary for anyone else in the Premier League. They're just continuing to bolster that already. Absolutely, uh, you know phenomenal midfield we talked about that off the air Bennett about how they're certainly going to be the best midfield in the league for some time um anything else you guys I, I guess maybe Neymar right that whole saga with him going back to to Barcelona is well, just <laughs> wow I, I I was just gonna say it's not even July 1st yet and we already have all these crazy rumors imagine when when we July 1st hits like what we're gonna start seeing <laughs> like it's only it's still June yeah. Like we still have all, we still have July and then early, like most or the first half of August, like to deal with, like to see all this stuff unfold. So there's a lot coming up. I mean, yeah, that Neymar thing is crazy. Basically saying he, he's coming back and like PSG's like, no, you got to pay us either the same amount or a little more <laughs> kind of thing. I heard a hundred million and Coutinho was offered for him. Oh yeah, I did see that. And it's like. It's like, yeah, Neymar, Neymar is regretting the move to PSG. So it's kind of, I think DeLitt kind of saw that too. I mean, maybe we've seen that and was like, oh, yeah, their best player wants to leave. Like, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's going to get crazy here. And, I, and I'm i I'm ready for it to just see the, the chaos that just happened <laughs> once July 1st hits. Dave, I have a question for you. Is Karen, is Karen Trippier going to be in the black and white Juventus come this August? And if he is, how depressed are you going to be? Um, I mean, I'd say right now about 75% chance. Wow. Yeah, That's well, I mean, it, I mean, the way it's been talking, I mean, I, honestly, I just saw that uh, the Concilo to uh, Man City is kind of stalled a little because Man City wants to give us Danilo and we want cash. So, um, <laughs> yeah, no, thanks. So, but the Kyrian Trippers thing keeps gaining ground. I mean, he's, I think he's more of a sorry type right back. I mean, he can play defense, but he can also service. I mean, granted, he's very up and down 
when it comes to like certain games. I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't be depressed. I'd just be like, hopefully he steps his game up. Like he realizes that he didn't have the best year this year. I mean, he didn't play the best for you guys. I mean, he did had he had his moments, but I just think. He, uh, yeah, sorry, I don't mean to interject. Uh, you guys know more about him anyways, so I mean. Well, I was just going to say this, the simple fact that he had to start for us for the most important matches um, didn't really help the fact that he had a down year. But, I mean, you still got to skill glow. I mean, he's pretty well-liked, right, Dave? I mean, he would be the starting right back. It's not like Trips would have to come in and be the starting right back. Oh, no, he would be. I mean, in literally his service, like, I've seen some of his crosses and some of his corners and even set-piece stuff. And he's, he's like, direct, he's like free kicks and stuff. And literally, he's he's he could be a game-changer if he could put it on Ronaldo's head or um, if we have Mandzukic or Iguain, whichever one. Or even a Cardi. That's that's still a rumor. Wow. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, if he's got, if he's thrown it in the box of those people, I mean, I as long as he puts it puts it somewhere near there, I, I'll be happy with it. I, he could play defense, and that was the big thing with Jao Cancelo is he he was great going forward, and he was great at like dribbling past people, crossing, finding people. But the problem was is when coming back, he'd either do a stupid, he'd get a stupid foul, or he'd just let him go right by him and cost as a goal so i mean we need a right back that can play both ways and i mean Basilio is not that answer um yeah so i mean oh really he's not you don't think that he is i, I thought he's pretty well liked no he hasn't been he, very good i mean he, he he can play defense that's that's he can play defense that's about it i mean going forward he's like there's nothing you can really do it's mostly he's 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 solid defensively which is fine but in the modern game now, you need someone that can also go forward and set people up. Interesting. So, I'd go I mean, after uh, Calabria from AC Milan. I'd pick another AC Milan right back. Yeah. Take yeah. I yeah. mean, honestly, yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm. They're also talking about this sent um, the dude from Napoli, uh, the guy with Albanian? eight. What? Albanian? Hijesh? Yeah. Because he's a sorry guy, so I mean, oh, there's okay. also talks of that, but I haven't really seen much of that lately. I mean, Trippier's kind of cooled off too because I think this Delit stuff's really taking over everything, Delit and Rabio. So I mean, I think once these get those deals get done, we'll start seeing more about right backs and of course midfield because I think they're still going to try to go get a big time midfielder. So and um, yeah, so. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be depressed, Trippier. I mean, he's shown flashes of like being a pretty like game changing right back, but he did have a down year last year, and yeah, he he can't have those mistakes. But I mean, I wouldn't be depressed. I mean, I'd just be like, kind of show me what you got, kind of thing. Fair enough. So I mean, well, and I'll jump in here too, quick. I think I. I, I want him to stay at Spurs personally, and I won't go down that rabbit hole. But, um, you know, I think, I guess quickly I'll just peek into it. But um, if you have, say, we sign in Dembel and you have him and Sissoko in the midfield who cover so much ground, I think that takes a little bit of the pressure off him. And I also think that we might end up in a back three. So I, I like him at Spurs. I don't want to see him leave. I think his bad season this year has, you know, put a clout on his – or sorry, not a clout, but the opposite of such on his name that – uh um, you know, maybe doesn't need to be there. We also operated in a back four all season, which 
um, you know, maybe doesn't favor him as well. So my point is, I think he's a solid right back, David. I think if you guys get him, I think the Italian game will be very suited to his ability. Um, it's less up and down, um, you know, just uh, a little bit more ability to play in defense and then transition not as quickly into attack, which will favor him. And like you said, his ability to pick a pass, um, take corners and all of that is, is, you know, really world-class in my opinion. So. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I, 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 no, I, I didn't really have anything to add actually. I just, I said noises, but yeah, I, hmm. yeah, trips. I, I don't know if I'm as optimistic as Scott is about him. I, I personally think maybe his uh, his ship has sailed, but um, by no means does he not still have value for another team. And uh, I think given in the right system, he definitely has a ball that could uh, definitely be beneficial to to a lot of teams. So, and he seems like a really nice guy to be honest too. He always says the right things, never a problem off the pitch or anything. So, at the very yeah. least, he seems like a nice guy. See, and that's that's what makes him a perfect Juventus player is because they they don't want they don't want somebody that's so. This whole Rabio thing, Rabio must be a good individual. It's just he's got that baggage of his mom being his agent. Oh my so, god! Can you imagine so, if a Cardi came too? You got Rabio's okay. mom See, and Juan Cardi. That's, that's what's like. That's, what, that's what's surprising me is like, why are we like this link with Cardi? It's like, are you do you really want that shit show coming to Juventus? Because literally, I mean, Danny Alves was kind of had that. He's not a shit show, but he kind of has that big personality kind of thing. Like, and then he didn't work out the year because he felt like he wasn't like right for him. He wasn't promised things that he was supposed to get. So it's like Juventus picks these certain players that are going to be, they need to know that Juventus is bigger than you. And if you don't believe that, then get the hell out. So I don't know. I don't understand the Accardi. I don't know if Accardi's like basically on his knees going like, I will change if you guys sign me, please, because I'm tired of being at this dumpster fire of Inter. So I, I don't know. But it's just like it, it surprises me whenever I see that, especially it's just why would you want that to come? Like, yes, he's a he can be he's a great player. Fantastic striker. I hate him. I I mean, I don't I, I hate what he stands for just because of all the baggage and how he cheated on his best friend's wife or basically stole his best friend's wife. I don't know why he would come. I don't know why we go get him. Like I just, it doesn't, it baffles me when I hear, see, see that rumor, especially swapping Dybala. Like, no, like Dybala is a lot more versatile. I mean, Akari's a number nine, but like, why not bring Iguain back? Just bring Iguain back. Like, why not bring him back and play him for sorry? Like one year, give him one year. And then you might have to sell him at a discount. But one year under sorry, see what he can do. I, you know that first team Juventus documentary. I know it was kind of a generic documentary. It wasn't that insightful to like the actual ins and outs of the team. But my God, I don't know if you guys should watch Hard Knocks for the NFL. But if you get a Hard Knocks documentary with the team of Ronaldo, sorry, smoking cigarettes, a young Delit, and then Rabiot's mom and Icardi's Wanda Icardi, I mean that would be amazing entertainment. I would love to be a fly on the wall for that. I don't want that anywhere near. <laughs> I don't want Fair that enough. anywhere near. Like, uh, I mean, it's like also uh, some news. Buffon's coming back, which is, I mean, is interesting. I mean, I, I think he wants to. He regrets going to PSG. Another thing that why would you want to go to PSG when I mean, basically you guys get Buffon and then he he doesn't even like it there because you guys are terrible to him. So, 
him coming back, I think, brings more leadership, too. So it's like, he's also going to be like, if that comes in, it's going to be like, dude, why the fuck did we get this guy? <laughs> like, I just, he's not a, he's not a Juventus like, type player. A Juventus type player is somebody that, like, is a team guy, is going to do his job. And, like, so it's just, I don't know. I, I just don't understand the Accardi rumors. It just baffles me when I see that. And I don't know. I just I hope it doesn't happen. I don't. I'd rather have Iguain. I love Iguain. Iguain didn't want to leave Juventus. He loves Juventus, so I would rather have him come back and be a part of the club than Icardi. Fair enough. Well, I don't know, guys. What do you think? We're about we're about an hour and fifteen now. We've covered quite a bit. Um, anything else you guys want to touch on? Nah, I think we're good. I think that covered a lot. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, no, to all the listeners, too, we appreciate you bearing with the Spurs-centric and the Juventus-centric conversation, but um, two clubs that are certainly pertinent in the transfer market now, too. So um, everybody who made it to full hour 15, we really appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed everything. Um, big matches coming up for for the American football fans, the women tomorrow, and, uh, you know, the men with the quarterfinal upcoming. So um, keep your eyes peeled for the those matches. And, um, the last thing I'll say is if anybody wants to hop on the 50 States football podcast, get, get a hold of any of the three of us. We're always happy to chat. Um, but yeah, appreciate everyone who's tuned in. Any, any last words from you two? Nope. Well said, Scott. We'd love to have anybody come on if they wanted to. And uh, yeah, thanks for talking. It was good. Good talk today. Yeah, for sure. USA, USA. Let's do it. USA. It's in the bag. <laughs> World cup winners, gold cup winners. Let's go. Let's get it. <laughs> All right, guys, take it easy. Thanks. I'll talk to you later. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all.